Here it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 52 of Nashville Untold, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Today in The Rambler, I host Mike Sill. Mike is a Grammy-nominated guitarist and composer based in Nashville, Tennessee. Originally from Bridgewater, Virginia, he's played out of Tennessee and Georgia for the past 10 years, touring and recording with a wide variety of bands, including the Jerry Douglas Band, Sierra Hole, Bob Lanzetti, Jeff Seip, Trio, Sarah Siskin, and many more. Mike has performed and recorded on many projects as a guitarist, pianist, arranger, and composer. Jerry Douglas's latest album, What If?, features his guitar work and composition work. His background is primarily in jazz, but you will hear him performing a wide range of music spanning many genres. I actually helped Mike and Megan purchase their home in Nashville a few years ago, so it was really fun getting to hang out with him in his front yard in the Rambler and hearing some of his younger story and talking many things music. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now, sit back and relax and enjoy the conversation. I like the old radio, too, man. Thanks. That's really cool. Yeah, it's actually Bluetooth. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Hello, Nashville. Today, I'm hanging out with Mike Seal. Thanks for joining me in the Rambler. Happy to be here. We're hanging out in Donaldson. Um, Actually, we, uh, we recalled that you have an anniversary tomorrow when you bought the house that's true yeah i think four years coming up on four years of being a homeowner so. uh-huh and being close to the airport was a was a good good go that right? was a really good move yeah yeah even i was driving here i was like man they gotta love this with oh yeah you and your wife yep all right so tell the audience a little bit about yourself kind of what you got going on currently okay uh, my name is mike seal um i am a professional musician and guitar player uh based here in nashville um, I moved here four years ago from Atlanta. Before that, I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I grew up in Virginia. So, uh, yeah, happy to be here in Nashville. And yeah, there's not a whole lot of uh, touring going on, which is my normal trade. But uh, we've been managing to stay busy over here and looking forward to uh, this whole COVID crisis yes. coming to an end. Hopefully, whenever that happens. Yeah, yeah. So. I've heard a little bit about COVID. You know, it's affected musicians just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And many. Yeah. All right, so take me back to your early years in Bridgewater, Virginia. What were some of your earliest memories? And out of curiosity, what kind of toys were you into? Oh, man. As, a, as this is a child, you know? Okay. Well, um, I was born in 1985, and I lived in Bridgewater, Virginia until I was 18 and moved to Tennessee. So being a kid of the 80s, I was into G.I. Joes and uh, Army toys and Tonka trucks and stuff like that when I was a kid. And uh, I grew up on five acres of woods. Okay. Um, so we, my brother and I, have an older brother who's four years older than me. Mm-hmm. We'd tear around the woods as a mm-hmm. kid. So I had a pretty cool childhood in that regard. A really beautiful place to grow up. And, yeah. Um, very rural and isolated. So there wasn't a whole lot happening for music. But um, I have family members who play. So okay. Um, got exposed to music pretty early. Like five years old, started on piano. Mm-hmm. And um, same with my brother. And then guitar at nine years old. And and so you so bridgewater is outside of harrisburg is that right yeah it's just how big is harrisburg harrisonburg virginia is uh i want to say maybe seventy thousand people or about when maybe that's what it was when i left i'm Mm -hmm. not honestly sure now 
uh, and the area around it is the greater area is the Shenandoah Valley. Okay. And, and it's very rural. It's a beautiful part of the country where the Blue Ridge Mountains open up into these two wide. Mm. Um, they separate, you know, by about maybe five to 10 miles. Mm -hmm. And this really lush valley uh, stretches maybe 40, 50 miles north to south. Yeah. So it's a beautiful rural area. Bridgewater is located five miles south of Bridgewater or Harrisonburg, I think. So, okay. So it's just a close close by. I think we keep getting, uh, my wife and I have a timeshare, and so we'll look somewhere sometimes in the mountains and on the Virginia coast. And I think Harrisonburg, there's a place that pops up on there often. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was like, it's so funny. We're so used to going to the beach. Mm -hmm. And you don't really have to look for a lot of entertainment because it's the ocean. Go play. Right. You know? Um, and so when I think about taking the kids for like a week in the mountains, I'm like, man, I just don't know. Would we get so bored, you know, right. or would we just hike every day? You know, I don't know. Well, if you go up to Harrisonburg, you can definitely do the hiking part okay. and the Appalachian trail runs right through that area. So there's a lot of cool hiking waterfalls, uh, little lakes and stuff like that. Yeah. You go find. And you're right on the border of West Virginia. So the mountains really do just keep stretching yeah. to the West from there. Yeah. Cool. All right, so um, as your teen years approached, what did you find yourself getting into? And what or who do you recall started having influences on you at that, you know, mid-teen? Oh, that's a great question. So um, I, I'm very lucky because I knew what I wanted to do at that age for a career. And that was wow, music. Really? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'd been in middle school. I got really serious about playing guitar. I wanted to have a band. And I wanted to be famous someday. Mm -hmm. That's all I cared about, you know, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. In ninth grade, I started studying with this really awesome guitar teacher named Mark Wetzel. Mm -hmm. um, he became my mentor. And he was into country guitar, jazz guitar, mainly jazz guitar, but he, he taught me about all of this cool stuff I had no idea about. And I decided then that's what I'm gonna do. So I was lucky and it was very much from a specific mentor. And what age were you, did you uh, say? 14, okay. about 14 when I decided. You were like, I this is my future. Mm -hmm. But uh, my dad is a, uh, wrestling coach. He's actually in the National Wrestling Hall of okay. Fame as wow. a coach. So um, he wasn't a coach at the school I went to. Okay. But uh, in fact, he had stopped coaching by that point. But I did grow up in sports as well. I wrestled okay. and played football, Pee Wee League, and yeah. um, baseball, basketball. So it, not so much anything. But, Was but music that. big at your school? Not really. It's a pretty rural high school. Mm -hmm. FAA, or yeah, the FFA, Future Farmers of America, was probably mm -hmm. bigger than music. Um, but we had a band in school. I remember playing bass guitar in the, you know, jet, the stage band, I think they called it. And we would play at the pep rallies and stuff. That's about as much as I did at school. Okay. So, um, how was the wrestling? My, my son did uh, wrestling last year, which <laughs> I don't think be due to COVID that they will be doing it this year. Right. Um, right. But how long did you do it? Um, I grew up going to like wrestling clinics that my dad had set up in the area. Uh -huh. And so I was kind of doing that from a real early age and uh school you can't start until middle school so i wrestled okay. in middle school and then i wrestled a couple years in high school and actually at 11 by the time i was going into 11th grade i knew i wanted to do music and okay. so i got out of wrestling and kind of went full steam with music so your dad was a coach but he was he also was he in music your mom was and your grandpa was right correct yeah on her side but my dad wasn't very musically inclined although his dad who um fought in world war ii was a trumpet player 
okay. and met my grandmother by playing trumpet in the in one of the bands that they had, you know, big bands yeah. that they had back then. So, so how was your dad when you said I'm doing music? Not and you, I mean, obviously you did wrestling all the way to your junior year. You said, yeah. So you stuck with it for a while, right? He he was not very happy when I came home from the first day of practice and told him I hadn't gone. Mm. So and because he was a coach, I really didn't want to tell him that I, you know, I wasn't going to do it. But once once I made that decision and told him. He was cool about it. And actually, he's a really avid lover of guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, his his icons are Eric Clapton and Jerry Garcia and guys like that. Kind of a mix between the blues and the southern rock world. Right. And uh, he's a huge Allman Brothers fan. So he was playing that music for us when we were growing up. And he thought it was cool to, to do music. Well, and so. your mom was in it. So then he probably saw the talent, I'm assuming, from that age 14 to 18 yeah, he, that you were picking it up pretty well. He was a big supporter. And in fact, he found that that mentor guitar teacher I okay. had was his, was someone that he knew through a mutual friend. So uh-huh. he, he was very helpful and supportive. All right. That's cool. Um, so which you, you mentioned Mark I, and I guess I'd, my next question is talk to me about the impact Mark, how you say his last name? Wetzel. Wetzel mm-hmm. had on you during later teen years and how did your community and family, which we talked about that a little bit, help prepare you to leave the nest. So, he was a great mentor. How was he a great mentor? So if people are looking in the music industry to find a mentor, what, what would you say? Wow. That, these are great questions. Well, um, he was an unexpected find at that age. I didn't really know what I, I what I was looking for. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I just knew that I'd heard him play guitar before and he was really good. And I knew that he had a lot of students. Um, so my parents hooked up a lesson and mm-hmm. it was like opening a door from the first day. He, he would have um, five or six burn CDs because it was that time, mm-hmm. time, you know. Oh, yeah. And he would just tur- turn me on to all these guitar players and, and styles of guitar playing that I had no idea about. So it, a lot of it was just him opening the door for things mm-hmm. I didn't know about. How was the coaching? Was he very, like, encouraging or was he, you know what I mean? I have a, a cool balance. Uh, he didn't really, you know, some coaches and teachers will break you down, build you back up. He wanted he wanted the student to have self-motivation. So he kind of offered this stuff like, here's a lot of cool things you could you could learn on guitar. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted to do that. So I would work really hard at home. My goal every week was to come back and have learned everything that he had mm-hmm. talked about the last mm-hmm. week. I took notes, I had flashcards, and I was spending a lot of time on that. So He probably noticed that a little bit too, I imagine. I, I think so. And he really kind of help, helped me along in that way. And he sent me off to guitar camps and stuff when I was in high school that just kept opening more doors and just getting to see more and more stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. All right. So, um, I take it you had the urge to attend college, but what led you away from getting a degree? Was it the obnoxious orange around you? Oh no, I didn't mind that so much. <laughs> Being from Virginia, I just kind of kept my mouth closed about it, but, uh, no, it was work opportunities that were coming up. Okay. Uh, by the time I was a junior in college, mm-hmm. um, which is about the academic level that I got to there, credit-wise. Uh, I was getting offers to go on the road with my um, another mentor later in life, Jeff Sight, a really talented, world-class drummer. Okay. Um, who had some local connections, even though he lived in North Carolina around Brevard at that t- that time. Mm-hmm. So I was already getting out on the road and playing shows. But then uh, another mentor of mine who lives here in town, and really got my cr- kind of career going in a lot of ways, uh, Jeff Coffin, who is the saxophonist for the Dave Matthews Band. Okay. At that time, he was the saxophonist for Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, and who, which is a band that I was really into at that mm-hmm. time too. Um, but his future wife at that time, his current wife now, was my neighbor. Okay. Um, so it's funny how things kind of work yeah. out. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I had had an opportunity to meet Jeff Coffin and he was doing a lot of educational stuff with his band. He would take the Jeff Coffin Mutet out on the road and we'd get in a 15 passenger van and go out for mm -hmm. six days. And as a you know 21 year old, that was my first touring experience. But part of what we were doing was clinics at colleges, mm -hmm. like master classes at colleges. So in fact, on my first tour with him, I was in the UT music school. We went out on the road. And I wasn't exactly sure you know, until close that I was going to be doing it, but we right. ended up doing a clinic at UT on my first run. And so instead of being in class one morning, I remember showing up in a van outside the music building and all my classmates are coming out to help us take, take the gear in. And I think a lot of them didn't know that I was going to ah, be there. Yeah. So that year I was doing a lot of road work and I decided that's why I'm here anyway. So, right. So what were you going to school for? Music. Okay. Yep. Yep. I was in the um, music program at University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Okay. So did, uh, was Drew Holcomb was he Ooh. up there around there? You ever listen to him? That name sounds really familiar. Drew, uh, it is Drew Holcomb. No, hold on, hold on. It, do I have it right? Um, Holcomb and the Neighbors. Uh, sounds super familiar. I gotta I make like sure. I know some that. reason I feel like the uh, music. Some reason I feel like I'm uh, saying that. Yeah, it's Drew Holcomb. Okay. You you but he's got some cool sounds. But he graduated at UT, and I I don't know. They're probably around. About the same time. Your age, yeah, I think okay. so. I was um, I was there in school from two. Were you pretty focused in college, or were you out having a little fun, crazy? Or? Well, I lived in the dorms the first year, so it was a balance of trying to figure out how to be an adult. And but uh, yeah, I enjoyed the schooling. I really did. I enjoyed the class. Uh, enjoyed. Were you, were you a partier? Nah, not really. I was. I've always been a little bit of a hermit. So okay. I, I had friends and would go out to parties probably more than I should have yeah. being a student. But but I managed to keep. Keep Sounds like you were pretty focused on the music from an early age. So that yeah. I would imagine, I mean, with anybody, I guess that's why it's like, you know, they say get kids off the streets, get them focused in, you know, basketball or whatever. Right, it you is have to have to a goal. Yeah. yeah. So I was yeah. lucky in that in that sense, and they had great teachers at UT, still do. So I I was getting good instruction from them. Okay, and you were at Knoxville, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So did music choose you, or did you choose music? Uh, did you have a desire to learn other instruments? Yes, I did, and I, and I still do. And that first question, that's a great question. I'm not sure. It was around, so I saw it all the time. So in that sense, it was right, right in front of me. Mm -hmm. So maybe so. You know, maybe it was there, and that was the first thing I wanted to grab at. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. And the second part of that question? Is a uh, uh, desire to play other instruments, learn other instruments. Absolutely. I started on piano. Uh, guitar was the second instrument that I got into. I loved that. I played trumpet in middle school because they didn't have guitar and band, but I wanted to play something else. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. I didn't stick with it for more than three or four years, but uh, now I've got spent a lot of time learning to play uh, the bass guitar, which is really similar to guitar. I mean, if mm -hmm. you can play one, you can kind of play the other. I learned a little bit of mandolin, a little bit of dobro playing, mm -hmm. which is kind of like the resophonic guitar that I'll show you in a bit. Okay. And a little bit of drum set. Mm -hmm. But if it's around, I want to play it. Yeah. We've got a pedal steel here at the house now. I've been working on that. It's fun. And I think whatever uh, skill set leads you to one instrument will will apply to another one. So. Do I, and and I, I take it, and I could be wrong in saying this, but do a lot of people start out kind of with the piano? I think that's very common, yeah. Graduate. Maybe more guitar nowadays. Okay. I think the guitar has proliferated in American culture to be a pretty ubiquitous instrument and you're i mean at that age you're, you're pretty cool if you could play the guitar too exactly right? i mean yeah. pick up some chicks right. and stuff yeah and i think even in the 80s and 90s guitar was like a super power instrument the stat i heard i don't know if this is true is that more guitars were sold in the 90s in america than any other instrument combined hmm. so there's a lot of guitar playing going on i 
I'll have to double, don't quote me on that. I have to double check. You know, it's interesting to think too, because you obviously had all the poison, the Def Leppard, you had all that in the, that was the 90s, right? 80s and 90s, yeah. Yeah, and then, and I, I was all into rap and hip hop and all that. Oh, yeah. And then my, my brother in law turned me on to STP. Oh, yeah. So then I was all about the alternative. Now, I never, I, I was, because I've always loved music. Yep. I wasn't in the lyrics, you know, so I could listen to that stuff that, Probably wasn't a good influence because I love the bass. I love the right, you know, the structure of it. And that was, um, you know, I think I went to see Ross play, uh, whoever he was playing with, and then you were playing with Jerry Douglas. I was like, sweet. I'd I'd heard of the name, but I've never seen him. And man, just that night, just seeing all the instruments and the music, it's like that's what I love. That because nobody was, I don't think anybody was singing. Right, y'all were just all instrumental, playing, you yeah. know, and it's yeah. like. So I, I always, so alternative, which I wonder what was their, um, I mean, I wonder if alternative was more, was it heavier lyrics or was it heavier music or guitar? You know what I mean? Because when you think about Poison and the Rock, it was yeah, more, bands. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder what alternative was more focused on, you know, like Weezer and right. Matchbox 20 and all that stuff. Yeah. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think there's, yeah a different style of lyricism for sure different focus on what the because you could actually understand the lyrics right too. yep and it's almost more like uh, uh melodic kind of singing styles than than like you said a lot of the screaming that went on the hair bands right um and music wise i guess it's hard to put my finger on it but it's definitely shifting at that point i know mm -hmm. the grunge scene was really popular during the 90s and that yeah. had a big effect on how uh, moving out of sort of the 80s hair band rock into mm -hmm. And the, the real kind of classic band in the 90s was one or two electric guitars, a bass, a drummer, and a singer. So mm -hmm. there was a, a instrumental format right. to it. So right. I'd say you probably have it right. The lyrics started yeah. to change and the tone of the music definitely changed a lot. I heard uh, Alanis Morissette the other day. Um, I don't know if you called it. I think she was on Fallon. And I she So she was singing a new song. It's really good. And it kind of, it, it it's kind of about her family and her kids and she's holding her daughter and it was neat because one just hearing her voice just took me back to college oh yeah and i always loved her voice so unique you know mm -hmm. and then it was neat because she's holding her daughter and you're like it's covid and as she's singing live you know like she would her daughter would do or make a noise and it's like pre-covid that would have never happened yeah probably would have never been allowed you know what right, i mean right but it was what a memory to have with your daughter you know it was yeah, really cool it's awesome it was neat to hear her voice again and know? she was a powerhouse back oh, then yeah. too her jewel love some jewel speaking wow. of jewel my friend um well my uh the sound guy from my wife's band also works with jewel oh really Brennan okay harris he does a lot of the audio engineering for her yeah. she still goes out and plays so yeah well she didn't she switch the kind of country yeah she's yeah. doing singer songwriter stuff in fact we played i played at the telluride bluegrass festival for the last four or five years straight mm. we were going to play this summer but obviously the thing yeah. happened but when i was out there last year jewel pulled up in her truck and um i'm not sure if she has a house out there some there's a couple country players yeah who do, to keep a house out in telluride but yeah she showed up backstage and was getting ready to go on and do her set. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so what do you love most about being a musician? Oh, well, the music. I mean, that if, you, if you're going to go into music, you got to love that as a prerequisite. Mm -hmm. And um, the feeling, I remember this when I was a kid. When you're playing music with other people, that is a feeling that you can't replace. Uh, it, well, I'm sure there are a million analogs for it. Probably being on a sports team when you're 
really working hard with a group of people to get something done or any kind of team environment like that. Right. But music gives you that. But you know that feeling of goosebumps when you hear a song and everything's just right and it hits you somehow and the arm, the hairs on your arm will just stand up. That's what I love about it because I'll get that feeling on stage playing with other people. Mm -hmm. When you're listening to everybody else playing and it just feels right, That I still get, I almost get it right now just thinking about it. Cause so when you play, are you... Um, what, what's the word when you just kind of get out there and like y'all are just kind of playing off of each other versus like, hey, this is a, I have this, these chords memorized. Like, do you do kind of both? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, uh, depending on what the environment is, there's a lot of different roles that you might play. But, but yeah, you're always listening primarily to what's going on. You're probably going to have a pretty set structure that you're going to execute when you go out there from rehearsal and from mm -hmm. A lot of times for some, somebody like me is a, a side man, and I guess like Ross mm -hmm. as well, you're being hired by a group that already exists right, to, right. to play this part. So you have a little bit of a predefined role when you're going in. So it was funny. Uh, you you played with the, what was it, the Fish Band? Oh, Jazz is Fish. Is that the show that you're on? Yeah. Okay, Basement East. I forgot about that. That's the only time I played with them. Yeah, so I showed up, and Brent Gambrell, a friend of mine, and he, I guess he went to college for music or something like that. So he has a, you know, he's pretty knowledgeable on it. And he said, when you started playing, he was like, it, it, he just noted that it was pretty cool. And you could tell that they were just like, dang, oh, this man. dude could play, Sweet. you know? And he, he was just kind of reading their faces. And then it was like, you kind of had to spotlight for a bit, you know? And it was There was a, a lot of guitar stuff. That was an interesting gig because I met those guys in the band right before the show. They're, they're based out of most of them are based out of Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. And so that was a last minute call and there was a bunch of music to learn. And I actually messed with the drummer who leads the band. His name's Adam Chase. Uh -huh. And I love this story because he had texted me a bunch of times. Hey, man, there's a lot of music to learn. Are you sure you're good? And I had written everything. Down. I, love I charted it all. Uh -huh. out. I had a whole booklet and because uh, there was no room for error. And I knew I wasn't going to have it memorized in that right. week. So yeah, you're finally back. <laughs> when I showed up, he and his wife, who's kind of the uh, producer and manager of that okay. band, they they kind of asked me, "Hey, so you got all those songs learned, right?" And I went, "Oh man, was there some stuff I was supposed to learn? Because uh -huh. I listened to the song, you know, the fish songs, but was I supposed to do like a special arrangement or anything?" And she went, "You have got to be kidding me!" And his uh, Adam's face was like white, pale, because I think he was seeing the show was going to train wreck if I didn't yes, know that. Yeah, so I, I couldn't carry the joke long because right, they right, looked really right. freaked out. And then when you got to play and they were like, all right, this dude oh, knows yeah. this stuff. And I told him then too, I opened up my book. I said, I, I wrote it out here. Check it out. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and actually later, because they rotate a lot of guitar players in, I was able to give them all that, um, mm -hmm. all the notation okay. for the guitar parts. Wow, so that's cool. Kind of win-win. Yeah, nice. Um, I guess kind of on that note, uh, yeah, you talked about being the side man, kind of. Mm -hmm. Do you like that versus like being in official band? Well, it's it's a give and take, I think. I do like it. You have a lot of freedom. You're also always kind of, I, I'd say the grass is greener, maybe probably f for different aspects of those mm -hmm. jobs. Mm -hmm. But um, if you're in a band that's going to stay locked and stay the same, there's a real clear uh, sort of concerted effort from everybody working towards the same goal. Right. If you're a hired player, you might just, you know, you might have a little bit of a different role. Right. And so, you, in fact, a lot of, like... Uh, trying to think of a good example to articulate one of my favorite guitar players brent mason he's the most wicked country chicken picking guitar player you'll ever hear he's probably maybe in his 50s now he kind of wrote the book on a lot of that style of playing and he worked with alan jackson for years and years and years 
and everybody, including you, has heard this guy play a million times, but nobody hardly right. knows his name. Right. So he's not part and parcel to Alan Jackson, but he was a big part of making Alan Jackson's music. So. Okay. So I think that's the cool part of being a yeah. sideman is you can do that and do all this other stuff. Well, yeah, and I mean, just thinking about like if you're a person that likes change, and and I would imagine it would kind of help you even learn the craft even more and more and more. Because you're not going to the same show, playing the same songs, playing the same routine right. over and over, even though I'm sure the money and consistency could be good, versus going, all right, tonight I'm playing with Jerry Douglas, or now I'm doing this. Like, I would imagine that would be a whole, be pretty, pretty exciting. It's cool, you know? yeah. It keeps you on your toes, and you have to, I'll say this as being somebody who's only kind of done side work my whole career, just working between different bands, and sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of bands at once, and sometimes just one for a while, is you really got to be on your toes knowing the music. And, and you really got to be good too. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that's honest. a baseline. And yeah. when, and if you're going to work with four or five bands, not only from a musical standpoint but from a logistical standpoint, right? You better be good with your calendar too, because yeah. And I found myself early on in my early twenties when I first started trying to work with a bunch of bands and navigate all this road work and stuff. I made that mistake a few times of double booking mm -hmm. or, or just making a mistake with the calendar, and you just can't find yourself in those situations. So, right, right. So, or somehow show up in the Rambler and be like, hey, yeah. dude, you ready? Well, I thought it was 12 today, not 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually, I missed an appointment. Um, I was about a couple of weeks ago, and I was meeting with, oh, a guy that was looking at getting real estate. Actually, he's a musician. I forget who he plays with now. But, uh, oh, I felt terrible. He texted me, and, I, and he was messaging me through Facebook. And I don't always, it's like, if you want quick responses, like a desk, yeah, go text. to the phone. And yeah. uh, anyways, I totally admit, I didn't put it on the calendar, you know, I felt bad. Yeah, it can happen. All right, shout out to your favorite um, restaurant and favorite nonprofit and why. Oh, okay. So restaurant, I got a new favorite. There's this place right here on Donaldson Pike, Sindori. Have you eaten there yet? Mm -mm. Do you like Indian food? Yeah, I like everything. Okay. I mean, I can't say I choose Indian a whole lot. I don't think about it a lot. Right. Yeah. Well, this is particularly good. Okay. And uh, it's only been open a couple of years now. They're doing awesome. They're really booming. They've done fine through this COVID thing. Actually, some of the guys who work there live right over there okay. across the street. Uh, that's amazing food, and it's super close to us. So I yeah. find myself ordering that a little more than I should. Mm -hmm. um, nonprofit. Um, I've been drawn to, or I don't have a whole lot of experience with those, but I've been a bunch have come up on my radar as I've been seeing all this uh, stuff during COVID. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite guitar players, Eric Johnson, does lesson videos now, which I think are really cool. It's great mm -hmm. to learn from one of your heroes. He posts them on YouTube and he asks for donations to um, feed the children. Okay. So that's any, any money that goes into his channel oh, goes right cool. back to that, which I think is really awesome. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Um, so talk to me about your guitar collection. Do you have a favorite? Do you give them a name? Oh, no, <clears throat> I don't give them any names. I do have a favorite for different things. You know, that uh, it's like it's like having a truck versus a hot rod car or something. You know, they all have different uh, utility right, to right. them. But I've got a couple new ones that I really like from Beard Guitars out of Hagerstown, Maryland. And one is a resophonic guitar. I mean, it has this giant metal hubcap looking thing in it. It's got a really cool sound. You'll mm -hmm. you'll recognize the sound when you hear it. Um, and that one's called a Decophonic, a Beard Decophonic. That's been the new favorite okay. right now. And I've also got another guitar of his that I'll show you. That's a, it's called a Sidecar, and it's a little bit of a smaller size, like a parlor guitar. Is uh, Eric Clapton on the Unplugged album from back in the day? Okay, it's that smaller style guitar that he was gotcha. holding. So I've how, been many, enjoying that. how many guitars do you have? 
oh, not as many as a lot of guitar players I know, but maybe 12, 15, somewhere. So right when now. you buy a new one, do you increase your uh, policy, insurance policy? Well, uh, we try and get everything on the homeowner's insurance. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's funny, like one of these new ones I've got, they, sometimes people just send you a guitar and it's not it's not necessarily yours until okay. you until you work something out. Right, right. Sometimes it's just to take on the road for a tour. Sometimes it's to do promo videos. So, um, so until that part gets settled out, you know. Yeah. But if it's if it's one that I'm keeping, yeah. Now, have you? Do you have one that you've kept for all these years? Yeah, I have my two oldest guitars. One was uh, my papa was a, in Virginia was a really great gospel guitar player. Okay. He bought me a Martin DM when I was nine, ten years old, um, and I still have that guitar in, in the nice. house. I keep it boxed up and I don't play okay. that much, but it's a great playing guitar. Yeah. Uh, and then I have his old D28 from the 70s. That is the one of the first uh, Martin guitars makes these D28s. That's like one of the iconic bluegrass guitars uh, okay. and country guitars too. You'll recognize the headstock on it. It's got Martin written in cursive. Mm -hmm. This guitar, they used to be made out of Brazilian rosewood until a certain date that became illegal. They're not, mm. not allowed to use that anymore, but it's a great resonant wood for building guitars. So they switched over to Indian rosewood. The Why was it Martin, illegal? I think my understanding is the only way they can get it is it washes up out of rivers in Brazil and it's a protected. Oh. Well, there's only so much of it and it's extremely expensive. Mm. Um, I'd have to. That's about as much as I know. Yeah, but yeah. Gibson got in big trouble for using Brazilian rosewood parts maybe 10 years ago and it was wow. a big fallout. Huh. But uh, the one that he has is one of the first batches, like the first 500 that has Indian rosewood, which is what I think they still use today. Okay. So that guitar plays great and it's the oldest one I've got. So you prefer acoustic or um, like that? Well, yeah, acoustic or? Electric. Electric. I, I, I only ever played electric professionally until this past year. And I've just now started playing acoustic oh, okay. with, with Sierra whole set and electric. So going back and forth. Okay. So the electric is where my heart is, uh -huh. but I'm enjoying getting to play acoustic more. Yeah. So. All right, cool. All right, so so educate me on your guitar playing style and the different types of guitars, which we talked about a little bit, but you know, just you know, sure, clueless on guitars. Educate me on your style. Well, uh, I grew up playing a lot of rock and roll music that I heard on the radio, and mechanically, I don't use a pick. Most guitar players do, but um, when I was learning as a kid, I, I learned from a piano teacher who didn't play guitar, mm -hmm. so there wasn't a whole lot of technique instruction. So I just went with using my fingers instead, which I found out later, a lot of people actually do that. It's not so unorthodox. Mm -hmm. So style wise, I guess that's what I've stuck to my whole life is playing finger style. Do you need longer fingernails or do you have to go through calluses on your hands or what? I, you build up some pretty wicked calluses on your right hand, but mm -hmm. uh, I keep my nails pretty short. A lot of finger style guitar players do use their nails and right. file them and yeah. take real good care of them. Classical guitar players as a category, all use their fingernails mm. or if they can't grow them out, they'll use fake nails. Okay. Um, but yeah, there, it's a lot of options there, whatever you like. Yeah. So, all right. Um, all right. So why play the genre of music you play? Also, did you ever give thought to, <clears throat> almost said again, why play the genre of music you play? Did you ever give thought to how you wanted to look on stage or did coolness just come naturally? Oh man. I think I'm like the least cool looking guitar player <laughs> when I play. But when I was a kid, like in middle school, and I was listening to Led Zeppelin, and I really wanted to be like in a rock band. Uh -huh. I was definitely thinking about what looked cool and how long, like where do you hold your guitar when you're, is it down at your knees right, or is right, it at right. your waist or up higher? Uh, 
but as I got into styles like jazz and um, country and classical and so, sort of longer lasting styles, I guess, mm-hmm. the cool factor visually didn't strike me as much. Um, I think now as an adult in a career standpoint, I'm trying to get back to where I mean, you got to try and look good on stage. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be out there you know, in your sweatpants. Right, right, right. It's funny how how some people care more more or less about that. Right. I think you you want to present present a good professional image, so it is important, yeah. but so do you ever kind of miss out on like smashing guitars or did you do that, you know? No, they were too precious hair? to smash when we were kids cuz you know, we only had one or two and uh-huh. uh, we were upset if we broke a string. You know, yeah. that was that was breaking me. Right, right. So so when you watch the videos growing up, you probably were like crying whenever they would uh, every time, smash a guitar. Yeah, every time Kurt Cobain threw his guitar, it was like, why? And but then he probably cool. sold all the pieces to somebody, right? <laughs> right. I read an article in Guitar World when I was a kid that he takes a guitar tech. Most bands that are, you know, have any stature are going to Actually, have... that guy I was telling you about, I missed the lunch. He's a, he, he does, well, he plays tech. guitar, but he's a guitar tech too. Okay, yeah. which would be a really cool job, yeah. I think. Go yeah. out and work on guitars every day. And he's learned different instruments because like he did a tech for the whole band at one point because wow. something. Yeah, so a lot of stuff. And I think guitar techs, that's a pretty pretty awesome job because if you're a bigger band, you need one. Right. So they kind of, they're going to be working. But yeah, I read that the the Nirvana guitar tech had his you know work cut out for him. Oh yeah, he yeah. was trying to glue these guitars back together nightly. Oh, so. are you serious? <laughs> and a lot, they had bolt on necks. Most oh. of the ones that Kurt Cobain was breaking, these old Fender like Jaguars and Mustangs and things. So there's only four bolts holding the neck onto okay. the body. So that's the shear point. And then usually they could go in and oh, put okay. a new neck on or do whatever they had to do. So gotcha. So a lot of the ones you saw smashed were actually on stage again. Some of them weren't. And they, they were drummers like, no, not again. I'm <laughs> I think there was a video where the bass player or or maybe Kurt Cobain threw threw their instrument up in the air and it comes back and hits him on the head and knocks him out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, actually, funny story. So have you heard of the band Red? Uh-uh. So um, they, Mike, Mike Barnes is the lead player. And then there's two twin brothers, guitar players. Okay. And, man, they're rocking pretty pretty hard. So they were Are on they stage. North Carolina? I know a guitar player named Mike Barnes over there. He lives here okay. now. Okay, okay. But, uh, or he's lived here for quite a while. But anyway, so they're on stage and they had this little, little gig part of it where they would, one that'd spin the guitar around their neck and, you oh, know, yeah. but then they would throw the guitars across the stage to each other, catch it, boom, you know. Well, Mike wasn't in place at one show and it hit him in the head. Oh. Like they had to end the show. And oh, yeah. So knock you they, out, man. I think they, I think they kind of cut that little part out. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, um, no, I got to say, though, it, it, I think it's fun watching you because you're so, I mean, just chill, man. I mean, like you're just, you got the hands going like crazy and you're not, your head, you're just, you're so in it. You know what I mean? Well, and that show that you saw with that band, I had, like I said, a written out chart, so I was pretty glued to okay. making sure I got the next part right. and. So it re- was so actually reading yeah. as I was playing, but well, I mean, in general, though, you're you're pretty, you know. Yeah, I don't jump chill. around a lot right, or anything. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. So edu- uh, let's see. <coughs> this coffee is good. We talked about that. Okay, I already said that. Um, all right, let's talk about touring. What are some of the challenges, and what are some of the joys of being on the road? Uh, another great question. Um, start with the joys which uh for me is getting to see a lot of the world and i've been lucky to tra- travel through most of the u.s a lot mm-hmm. and um and europe south america i haven't done anything in asia yet but just getting to see a lot of places that i wouldn't mm-hmm. f- for me probably never have found otherwise 
uh, and the music too. Getting to go out and do what you love, there's a, that's irreplaceable, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you turn what you love into work, it's going to have uh, drawbacks. I'd say some of the difficulties of doing it. One, my wife is a professional touring musician as well, so mm-hmm. there are years where we're both busy, where we're like ships in the night all right. the time. So you've got to have some fortitude there. It's a good song by Matt Carney. Ships in the night. Yeah, nice. Uh, but that—that's the primary difficulty, I think, and especially if you have kids and a family, that's going to add a layer of difficulty to that. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of successful relationships though that exist in that, and um, I feel really lucky because my wife knows knows the work just you mm-hmm. know even better than I do. So um, the other difficulties, you know, pe- people like to have some kind of normalcy in their schedules and routines, and you don't always have that with music. Mm-hmm. You kind of just go 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 until you stop, and then you go again. Mm-hmm. But I, that part is exciting to me, the, the yeah. diversity of what you get to do. Right. So other difficulties, you know, you get you can you got to really take care of yourself on the road because you can get worn mm-hmm. out. Scheduling wise, a normal routine, I'd say, for a lot of touring musicians is drive all day, get to the show, you know, in the early afternoon, do your setup, your sound check, all that, eat dinner, play the show. By that point, you're you've been driving through in the morning. You spent your day getting ready. Then you're going to give everything you got for two three hours and then when that's over pack it all up you might get in your vehicle let's say 11 or midnight or something drive to a hotel somewhere maybe halfway to the next town depends on where you're going get in that hotel room at 1 a.m alarm goes off at 5 30 back in the van or you know getting on a plane or whatever it is it's not always like that but you have you know it's a sliding especially in the earlier years when you're you know trying to make it i'm assuming right Absolutely. And I think the better, the more successful you're at, the easier probably some of the touring situations get. But even all the way to the top, the best people, they're still burning it at both ends sometimes yeah. to get to that show. So, yeah. How about the business side of it? Like just just managing money, you know, mm-hmm. did you learn early on to be responsible or, you know? Yes, I've made every mistake you can make. So I've been learning from from my, my mistakes over the years. I, uh, I've been lucky because I've had steady work for most of my career. Mm-hmm. That's one scary thing about music is you want to, you want to stay busy all the time, but sometimes, like right now, things just aren't going. Mm-hmm. So you got to be resourceful and have other ways to right. to kind of keep keep going. Which along. again, it's another plus of of probably doing what you do as a musician versus being on tour with one person. Right. And right now, it's like boom, they're shut down, and depending on you know, yep. are they paying them or not? I've heard you know different different musicians are being paid and some aren't. You know, that's right. That's so right. whereas you you're pretty creative and have a good talent doing different stuff. Um, what have been some of your favorite venues you have played? Oh man, wish I had a list to write to write down of these. Oh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival has been probably been my favorite like repeat gig that I've gotten to do a bunch of times because it's only one stage. It's way up in the mountains, and I think I want to say it's about ten thousand people in the audience. Okay, so you look out and. That looks pretty cool. And I've played for some larger audiences at different festivals and different circumstances, but that's the one that stands out to me. Uh, Venue-wise, here in Nashville, I always enjoy getting to play at the Ryman. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you. Yeah. It's been a really special thing to get to do. Have you played at Bonnaroo? Uh, no, I. but uh, my wife has. So okay. I went with her a couple years ago. And like everybody I know has played at Bonnaroo. So that was always this bucket list thing for me. And after so many years, I was like, ah, all right. Well, I've gotten to do a lot of other cool stuff. So. Right, right. So no, uh, New Orleans Jazz Fest a couple years ago was really fun. That one okay. stands out. Um, I pretty much play a ton of bluegrass festivals over the summer, yeah. and m- most summers. So, yeah. 
lot of festival stuff, and I, I really like that environment anyway. So, hey, what are so, is it? Are there some pretty cool venues overseas in Europe or wherever other places yeah, you play? There's there certainly are. Um, let's see, I've had a really good time playing in several venues in uh, Scandinavia. And the thing is, I'm not going to remember exactly their names. There's one in Sweden called Akarat that I've enjoyed playing a couple times. It's just a small little place, but um, Spain. It was really fun playing in Spain and Barcelona. I don't remember the name of the club yeah. that we played at, but we played in these little kind of dingy rock clubs at night. Mm-hmm. And that was with a country band. Um, that was like four or five. That was right after I moved into this house. Spent uh, five and a half weeks touring through Europe. I think we did eight countries in five, five and a half weeks. Wow. So that was cool. I really enjoyed that. I always like going to England, playing yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Blues Alley in D.C. was a standout because that was a club I used to go see when, bands mm-hmm. at when I was a kid. Yeah. So I got to do a three-night uh, residency there with Jeff Coffin when I was in my early 20s that was and my family came up to see it so that was a standout yeah Wolf Trap in that same area is a really beautiful venue now so your brother's still in music too right well not or professionally okay. but but okay. he's a really great player okay. a lifelong player but he's a professional journalist so okay he used to work oh. for the newspapers and now he's been doing uh, work at UV University of Virginia okay for the last I think about 10 years now okay. cool so, all right, so what has been the impact of playing with other musicians of great talent? Oh, man. Well, you always have somebody to look up to. Um, there's a saying that if you're if you're a sideman or you're joining into a band, you want to be the worst person in the band. And I never have wanted to be the worst, but, right. I do, but I, you don't necessarily always want to be the best person because you want somebody to learn from. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of the, I've been awesomely lucky to have a lot of mentors as as bosses or band leaders so mm-hmm. speaking of like jerry douglas he's mm-hmm. one of the legends of that instrument he's probably the legend of the dobro and um the, the stuff that he's done the experiences that he has that he can share with us working under him is incredible mm-hmm. it's like every time you go to work with somebody like that you learn you learn something mm-hmm. so have you found are some more like storytellers and want to share versus some are quieter let's just do my gig and move on absolutely absolutely yeah i like uh well, and you know when you're on the road with somebody for four or five weeks it's important to kind of put up some fences too yeah and have a little bit of alone time because you're really we're in a vehicle a lot of times smaller than this shoulder to shoulder for hours and hours so i think it's a, an important mix to be able yeah. to but you also don't want to be totally isolated on the road and mm-hmm. so i think a healthy balance of those two things is important did uh does jerry douglas does he have a tour bus or is he most of the time we go okay. on a tour bus yeah yeah which you know is really awesome because you got a place to lay your head down all that scheduling stuff I said about getting to the hotel at one at night, that goes out the window because you got a place to sleep while you're going down the right. road. I like that a lot because you wake up and you're already at the next club. Yeah. And you can go get your lunch and then do your sound check. So, mm-hmm. But you're also sleeping in a three bunks high, three bunks back on each side. With wow, a little three narrow, bunks, huh? Yeah, with a little narrow quarter going by. So Dang. Three, 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 so nine, I think 18 bunks or something is okay. what's on most. Wow, so you got like how much room like this? enough yeah. to slide in yeah it's like a military i mean ship. i guess the buses are and you yeah i mean it's i don't i don't know that i've never actually been on a tour bus it it's surprisingly roomy but you know in okay. that quarter everybody's snaking by each other right. kind of like that and then um that's a lights out area at night you know where everybody's sleeping yeah. it you can't lean up in bed or anything you're gonna you're in yeah. a little coffin kind of and then if you got gas that's another story right yep yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you, I, I sleep on the top so i don't <laughs> I don't know though. He he rises, right? Yeah, that's the it's the worst if you're uh, catching everybody else. All right. So how do you evolve as a musician and not just settle for how great you are today? I think you've got to have that drive to keep moving forward. 
in music. Um, especially if you're a like kind of a free agent who's playing with lots of different bands, mm-hmm. you got to keep improving. And I think like a lot of stuff, music is a never ending. You can never learn it all. Mm-hmm. So you're all right. You're always going to be learning something. And sometimes you're learning about gear and tones and things like that and the equipment. And sometimes you're learning about, you know, new ways to play, new techniques. Mm-hmm. So for me, especially this year, and I bet this is my theory is with this COVID this year, a lot of musicians have been at home working their butts mm-hmm. off at their own playing. And that's I've been lucky to get to do a lot of that this summer. Yeah. So feeling charged to go back out again. Yeah. I imagine everybody is. Um, so, go ahead, take a sip. <laughs> Every time I got to ask, you're like, um, do you have some long-term goals in the music industry or do you just take it one day at a time and look forward to what life presents? I do have some long-term goals. I want to, um, I've got a couple projects, I guess. One, I want to continue growing an educational uh, outlet on, on the internet, basically. Mm-hmm. Right now, that form has been doing online Skype lessons, mm-hmm. kind of one-on-one with people but also making lesson videos that are free to anybody. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to grow my YouTube channel, which is slowly getting a little better. And I'm trying to upload a couple videos a month of just guitar education stuff, uh, long, long form lesson videos. Mm-hmm. And yeah, teaching, that's been a big part of my life since I was, I started, I got my first teaching gig with music when I was in high school, teaching at a local guitar shop um, in Harrisonburg. Mm-hmm. And I've kept teaching ever since then. So if touring gets thin, you know, times like, like now there's right. still a ton of people that want to learn how to play guitar right. so and i enjoy that both of my parents are educators so it is uh what's the difference between teaching in person online is there a huge difference it's a little easier in person because you have a, a more tactile sense of what they're doing mm-hmm. um you know you can see their hand better there's no video delays i think the, mm. the things that plague uh, people in music lessons online are the same that they would in an interview or a you know any kind of uh, meeting environment which is just the video lagging or freezing mm-hmm. i took a, uh, i took a lesson with one of my guitar heroes this guy mike stern i've been listening to him since i was a kid and he was using his uh iphone i guess or whatever and his video feed was really sketchy mm-hmm. so i was extremely excited to take a lesson with the guy but ha- every 10 seconds it would freeze up and, right so can you bump that yeah uh, just somewhere on the metal oh the rattle Hold on. i think i hear it coming from over here maybe oh it stopped now is that what it was? I don't okay. know. Something. Huh. Maybe it was this. Sounds like I hear it over here. Sorry, I'm turn my ringer off. Okay, there we That sounds better. I think I got it, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Alright, so do you have nope, I said that. Wait. Yeah. Alright, let's talk focus. I know the music industry can be like real estate industry to some degree in that there are many directions you can go how do you keep your focus on what you are good at and not be led astray by other shiny objects mm. oh, that's a great question too um in my case i've just been really lucky though i've had a direct stream of work from two people that i really respect and that kind of keeps a clear focus mm-hmm. going and in between times i always have a couple clear-cut goals one is improve my craft so keep work keep to the grindstone mm-hmm. keep at least maintain what i can do but also try and improve and um two i think you have to take a step back every once in a while and look at where your heart is and what you actually want to be doing so that you can kind of shape that into your future this covid19 break has actually been good for that for taking a step back and saying hey am i going the right way mm-hmm. is this what i believe in and what i what i want to be doing so it's been actually a good outcome of this yeah it's given a lot of people a lot lot to think about probably Mm -hmm. 
Um, all right. So on that note, reflecting on the last six months of 2020, how has COVID made you step back and appreciate what you are, what you had going on? Um, have you taken this time to pivot or just letting it run its course? Well, um, it has been a great opportunity to step back. And, um, I would say the ultimate thing that I feel like is I appreciate more now what I got to do. And when it when your line of work disappears for a while, you start thinking pretty hard about it. Mm -hmm. So I feel very lucky that I've been able to do this and I, and I feel lucky that I, that this is going to come back mm -hmm. and, you know, music, I don't think it'll ever go away, but touring and stuff like that will eventually come back to what it was. And I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm grateful because I've had an opportunity now to, to put some time into things that I absolutely couldn't have before. My wife and I have a garden now. We're cooking all the time. Um, we've been getting our food from a couple of local sources that we're really happy about. And um, I'm, I'm almost 50 hours into uh, my pilot training. Okay. So I've really, like, I don't think I would have gotten all these hours if right. I hadn't been, had the time at home. Yeah. And we're so close to the airport, I can be there in five minutes. So. Yeah, so curious. So you sit in the house and as we've heard a few planes go by, one after one or two months when kind of everything shut down, when you started hearing planes, were you like, oh, I love that sound? Or were you like, oh, I want to get up there and fly somewhere? You know, like, yep. did it, did it, a little bit of thoughts? A little bit of both. Yeah. I, whenever I hear them early in the morning, I think, oh, that could be me. Yeah. You know, 530 in the morning when you hear that. Uh -huh. That's that's when I realized like, oh, yeah, we could be getting out to work right now. Sometimes I'm glad I'm not on a plane at 530 in the morning. But right. But uh, yeah, I miss it. I miss going out there. The weird thing with the um, flight training that I've been doing, I'm trying to get my private pilot, pilot okay. license and I'm finally getting pretty close. Um, where I can, I can fly solo now and rent a plane and fly around on building hours and got three or four more, more requirements that I've got to get through, including this massive written test. And mm -hmm. you have to do a check ride with a um, designated pilot examiner. There's a lot that goes into it, but seeing the airport up close, cause mm -hmm. I fly out of BNA, mm -hmm. once I was able to go take lessons again and there's no Southwest jets moving and you get out there on the taxiway and there's barely any movement, that was surreal. But yeah. now, but over the last couple of months, it's starting to come back. So, um, actually, can you, once you get your pilot's license, your private pilot license, one, can that, can you add that to your list of what you can do and rent a plane for people you're playing with and fly them? Or two, can you fly yourself and then say, hey, look, I'm this good. If you want me, you got to pay for my flight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really interesting question, too. So I think I'd hoped that the latter would be totally cool when I was getting into it. But actually, there's a requirement. You're, you're not able to fly for hire with okay. just a private pilot's license. Okay. And that would be anyone paying over 50% of your fees. Mm. So if, if a band was working out in Montana and I said, hey, I'm going to fly out there myself, they can't pay for my... Oh, really? Yep. That would be a violation of the FAA rules about your being a private pilot. Huh. So you have to kind of climb through more ratings. And, right. And um, Now, can you keep it 49%? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm, if they're not riding with you, I'm not sure I'd have to go double, double check that. But let's say one of the band members was going to ride with me. They could pay 49% of the fuel cost, and that would be okay. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be paying for my share. And really, you wouldn't care about your time because you're making up time and enjoying what you're doing, right, right? Right. So I would love that as a goal. I was actually reading an interesting story. You know, down at, um, Shel is it Shelby Bottoms? Mm -hmm. The park down there that has yeah. the old abandoned airstrip? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading about that airstrip because I see it all the time from the air. A lot of country players used to fly their own planes back in the um, 80s and even into the 90s. And I think it didn't close down until the early 2000s. Yeah. So I found uh, the famous banjo player Earl Scruggs actually wrecked his plane over there at that airport. 
uh-huh. I think in the 90s. Wow. And um, it was at night. He was coming back from a gig. And he, I think he overshot the runway or something went wrong. But he ended up crashing out there. And he was injured mm-hmm. to where he couldn't really, he, I think he crawled away from the plane. Wow. And uh, this was before cell phones, I guess. And so his daughter came looking for him at like four in the morning and found him out in the, oh my god, like hundred yards away from the plane, laying there in the grass hollering. So yeah, well, it could be it could be a neat as you you know, as you meet more musicians and you're in the industry and then you're like, all right, I'm ready to chill out a little bit. Then you go start flying people for you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, and there are a lot of professional out- outlets there. Steve Morse, um, the guitar player from the Dixie Dregs, one of the most badass guitar players in the world, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of people's hero. Mm-hmm. He was a regional pilot for a long time. Okay. Keep, keeps current with his license. Yeah. Dirks Bentley is, um, okay. he flies out of John Toon. And actually, I think I cut him off in the traffic pattern when I was doing my training there. Um, it's it's <laughs> interesting to hear everybody on the radio. Yeah. But yeah. he, yeah, he flies like IFR from here out to Telluride and stuff like okay. that. So that's pretty cool. Well, I uh, I, I listen to Bob Goff a lot. Um, he's an author and speaker and stuff, but he flies everywhere he goes. You oh, know, cool. and it's like he can go out and speak and fly in and be back for dinner. So you know? cool. Yeah, that would be neat. I, I think that would be a really cool thing to fly. Like when I've seen your post, I'm like, man, that's something I would love to do. If you, you know? think you would like, to, you probably would. It's really what. Fun. What would you say to get licensed? Like, what are they? What's their projection and cost? Um, you are looking at probably. Uh, depending on where you go and what plane you're flying because mm-hmm. the rental comes down to the plane and the instructor probably seven to twelve thousand dollars okay yep and then you could be licensed mm-hmm. and you're looking at 40 hours as a minimum but most pilots are going to take a little longer than that mm. it depends on how spread out your training is too i was actually reading about um robert jfk jr the other day and his path to getting his pilot's license of course he had that wreck mm-hmm um, yeah. But he spread his training out over like six or seven years. Okay. And so he's only getting a little bit at a time. Right. And I think most pilots would advise you not to do that. Right. Because right. it's a perishable skill. You want to have it condensed mm-hmm. into a, a certain yep. time. Yep. So for me, that's been a little time last summer. And then we got super busy on the road and I just didn't have the time to mm-hmm. do it. And then when this hit this year, of course, everything was in lockdown until May. But starting from the beginning of May, I've been flying to, you know, at least once a week, if not two two times a week. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. So... Um, all right, let's talk about Megan for a few minutes. How did you meet? How did you both meet? And what is your engagement story? Ah, uh, okay. Uh, all right. So we met like eleven years ago, and I met her to as an. Uh, I was taking an audition to play in their band. Two of my really good friends were going to go out on the road with them, and they needed a guitar player. And this is the her band is Larkin Poe, so this is the very first iteration of Larkin Poe, I guess. Okay. Um, back in 2009, 2010. And so I drove down with my friends to Georgia and did an audition. And um, I hadn't heard much of their music. And in fact, I don't think they wanted me to hear it going into the audition, which I was a little nervous about. Mm-hmm. But that went fine. And then I ended up touring with them for like eight or nine months. Um, we did a lot of European touring during that time, a lot of cool gigs. And. I was transitioning from that band into Jeff Coffin's band, and Megan and I had kind of started to date at that point. Who so. started liking who? Or who pursued who? Uh, it was a little tough because we were working together and we right. weren't allowed to to be together. So well, I'm not sure how many details I'm allowed to share about this. <laughs> but uh, I'd say things took a natural course, and we've, uh, yeah. we've been together for coming up on 11 years. Yeah. Engagement story? Anything exciting? I'm just wondering if I'm allowed to tell this or not. 
Uh, it is it, exciting. It, it, I think would, it's a great story. I'm just, I don't want to get myself in trouble. Well, I tell you what, you tell me. And if you talk to Megan, she's like, no, 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 we can edit it okay, out. Okay, okay, yes. perfect. All right, that's a deal then. Okay. Okay, so we had been together for four or five years. We moved in together in Atlanta. I moved down from Knoxville. And uh, we were both on the road a ton. I think I moved in, and she was off in Europe for like four or five weeks, and I was off on the road, and we didn't see each other hardly at all. Things did not go well, and mm. we decided to drop our cut our losses there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so i moved back to knoxville temporarily and over a period of about three weeks i think we were both thinking maybe we should give it another shot so i went back down actually to get the rest of my stuff and load it in my car and drive back to knoxville and that was going to be that but i ended up staying and we were engaged like six hours later are you serious mm -hmm. oh my goodness we went to piedmont park what? and we were having sake and sushi i think and we were talking about it and we decided well we didn't really want to just date again and i said well, what would you want to do? And she said, well, I don't know. I, why didn't you ever ask me to marry you? I said, I was looking for a damn ring. Said, what do you think? You think I was moving down here and I wasn't gonna? And uh, sorry, I'm not sure I should be saying all that. But yeah, but yeah, we. I proposed to her at Piedmont Park. I didn't know I was going to propose that right, day either. Right, right. That's awesome. But it worked out. But I mean, three weeks made you definitely realize what you were missing, right? And yeah, I certainly, certainly was ready to. To get back so yeah so and then i moved back down from knoxville back to atlanta and we lived we got married the next year and lived there for i think three more years and that's when we met you and bought this house up here yeah um you said something that was gonna make me ask something i remember what it was um oh okay so uh, we can chop that together but when you said, you know, well, you know, I can't date a colleague. Well, Natalie and I were selling Cutco knives in college. Okay. And, and uh, in Little Rock. Um, and we would have, if you sold so much, you got to go to a um, Wednesday night Golden Key meeting. So you, it was like a group of people that you got to have fun, kind of rewarded, you know. And uh, so I started liking her. And they're like, you know, we can't date, you know, and that stuff. And I'm like, like I care, you know. Right. So for me, I was right. like, I didn't care. Yeah. And uh, I remember helping her bowl. I was teaching her, you know, how to bowl, and you know, behind her with the moves. And uh -huh. I came off the the lane, and a dude reminded me, you know, and I said, Oh, we're just friends, you yeah, know. And then I was like, I was kind of done with the job because I was like, I had reached out to all my friends, so I would call her up, and like I was talking something Cutco, you know, trying uh -huh. to get a sales tip, and really I was just wanting to. Right. with her right because i think by that time i had started working at ups so i just hung on just the right long you knew enough you were to, gonna be moving yeah, yeah. 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 so yeah. we uh we we dated and but yeah it, all, it was funny because i always remember them saying yeah you can't date i'm like yeah okay whatever you <laughs> yeah. can't tell me what to do right. you realize I, I left my house because i didn't want anybody telling me what to do you know right yeah um <laughs> what is the best piece of advice anyone ha has ever given you and what advice would you give someone looking to pursue a career being a full-time musician? It's another great question. Um, I would say the probably the single best piece of advice that I got from a lot of different people, the same piece of advice was, you have to really be determined that that's what you're gonna do. And um, I'd say the best advice I would give to somebody along those lines is, if you know that that's what you're gonna do, and, and that's what you want to do, then don't let anybody take it away from you and make it your goal to pursue that no matter what. Mm -hmm. You have to be tenacious and go for it because it's not an easy career choice. And then uh, there's a lot that I would say after that, like one, 
being good at it is a prerequisite. You got to get good at what you're doing. So that's, and those are baselines, but then there are five or six other skills are going to be really important. You have to have some kind of idea of being a business person. Mm -hmm. If you have to, if you're a young person getting into music, learn how to do your taxes, Mm -hmm. learn how to do some basic auto repair, Uh, you know, just learn how to do as much that's going to help you along your way to, to not have to worry about other stuff while you're trying to pursue music. So. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think, I think that's, you know, very music, music in Nashville anyway is similar to real estate and has been over the last probably 10 years. Cause you know, it's such a great industry. Yeah. So many realtors are in it. And even now a lot of musicians have pivoted a bit to that's it right. because it's easy. Yep, to I know into quite it. a few who are doing it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but train thought you said focus business skills oh anyway so it's a dime a dozen so you got to know your craft and you got to separate yourself apart mm-hmm. you know like all that stuff applies to being a musician because there's so many of them yeah you know? and especially I, and here too yeah i've talked to you know some and it's like you you gotta you gotta figure out because you in your hometown you're great and then you come to nashville and it's like yeah you're yeah you're another, nobody another guitar you know? player yeah. in the pond yeah, yeah. and it's or like sure you're great but if you want to go and be successful in your mind, then go back home and mm-hmm. play in front of that crowd at the bar, you know? Right. <clears throat> All right. So deep question from the great words of Paul and Timothy four, seven, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith when your journey's over. What legacy are you hoping to leave? Hmm. Well, <clears throat> I think, um, fam- family is probably a huge, huge thing for me. Uh, Megan and I don't have kids, but that's something that I think we'd like in our future at some point. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd like to have something we could leave behind for for somebody. Mm-hmm. So that and just maintaining a good relationship with the family that we do have. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot of my family still up in Virginia. I've got nieces who are growing up. And so, yeah, I think family is a big part of part of that. We'd yeah. also we'd like to have some something of um, physical to leave behind, you know, a nice home yeah. for somebody. Yeah, you ever see uh, you and Megan starting your own band again or anything? Oh, you know we're pretty busy with the projects we've got. I guess so, yeah, you could yeah. y'all could do your own thing and then come together and yep. yeah, that's cool. The nice thing too is it's fun to go out with her group as a you know as a husband as a guest sometimes. Yeah, they, you know that I can go out and have fun, let them do their thing. Right, right. And same for her, she can come along. Yeah, you know we we both got Grammy nominations in the last couple of years, okay. so we got to take each other to that. And um, she went with me up to Carnegie Hall in New York for ours. And I got to go out with her to um, California, to L.A. Yeah. And we, yeah, that, those kind of things are pretty special. So. Now, do you ever go and be a special guest with them playing? Oh, I sat in, I've sat in like here, here and there over the years. The okay. most recent was a couple years ago on a cruise ship thing. Okay. So, yeah, every, every once in a while, but not, not very much. Yeah. I have guitar tech for them a couple of times. Okay. Like four or five years ago, they just needed somebody, pinch hitter. So I said, I'll right. do it. Yeah. So it's cool, you know. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. All right. So the National Real Estate Minute are a few quick questions. How long have you lived in Nashville? I guess four years on the dot, right? Yep. Uh, what made you choose Nashville? Uh, work considerations. Mm-hmm. We were in Atlanta and this was looking pretty nice. Plus, I was working with Jerry Douglas, who's here, and her band members were already here, too. Okay. Uh, what community did you land in and why that location? Donaldson, because of you. So you found this house for us um, through a friend yeah stacy yeah, right yep stacy so they were selling we were buying yeah and this yeah. fit the bill for I us i was like man this would be it and, and it was funny because that was one of the 
man, it might have been the only that I've worked both sides. Right. And it was a balance because, yeah. you know, and even like actually in real estate, they don't they don't always encourage that because it's hard to like yeah, take be, yourself out of yeah, it and be a exactly. facilitator. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also knew it was like, oh man, like just the location and everything, and even the price point at that time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, man. four years has been very, oh yeah. Very, a lot of change. Uh, so tell years. me a great memory that you often share about Nashville. Ah, hmm. oh, there's so many to choose from. What's uh, one you always tell? I'll give you a recent one that we've been excited about. We've got kayaks now, and we've been out getting on the lakes and uh, mm-hmm. actually camping on the islands sometimes. Oh, cool. A couple, well, there's a lot of places you can go yeah. around town, but that's been really what cool. What islands have you camped on? Um, we The one we've tried so far is going out to Percy Priest, you know, and there's yeah. like a thousand of them out there. Mm-hmm. So um, one of her uh, friends knew a, a good one. Okay, yeah. fun. Um, all right, so what do you look for in a good real estate agent? Oh, well, good communication. And we absolutely got that with you. We were very happy about that. Uh, we don't want to get the sense that they're, they know what you're looking for and mm-hmm. they're going to, the, the houses they're showing you are in the right ballpark. And mm-hmm. I think we, we could check that one off too when we were working with you. So yeah. three, well, we felt like we had your uh, undivided attention mm-hmm. with it. And we got, I think we got all everything done pretty quick. Yeah. So yeah. from from finding this house to closing on it it wasn't really very long yeah y'all were traveling a lot too so mm-hmm. yeah um what advice would you give to someone looking to move to nashville come on down it's great yeah uh it's a huge it's a growing city mm-hmm. I, I don't know if i have any advice for anybody because i've i haven't been here for super long i guess observations it's there's a high growth factor here um it's a wonderful place to live mm-hmm. so. all right cool well that's all i got Sweet. Um, man, like an hour right on the dot. Nice. So, Perfect. That was, that was easier than I thought. I get nervous talking on a Well, I appreciate your time, and how can everybody tell you, uh, find you? Oh, okay. Uh, so I've got a website, MikeSealMusic.com, uh, and I'm on social media, Instagram at MikeSealGuitar, and Facebook is also MikeSeal. It might be Mike.Seal.Guitar, something like that. You can find it in the search window. And so when you get back to touring, are you, who, who will you be touring with? Well, I'll tell you what I had. So right now things are so up in the air that it's mm-hmm. hard to say. But what I had until this was got all, all got canceled was mm-hmm. um, a lot of work with Sierra Hole this year. Um, she had a new album come out. So I think one of our last shows, yeah, our very last show was at the Tennessee Theater on March 12th with Tommy Emanuel, mm. which was really exciting. I've always wanted to play that venue. It's a beautiful theater. And then everything got shut mm-hmm. down then. So that's what I was doing. But I was also gearing up to go out. Um, with John Hyatt and Jerry Douglas. Okay. It's going to be a lot of my touring this year, too. So yeah. hopefully some capacity. Those, yes. those will be the things that come I'm back. hoping for all. Mm-hmm. All right, man. We'll appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Andrew. All right. Now you know a bit more about Mike Seal, and I know you gained a lot more music knowledge than you had before you listened to this. I really like the fact that uh, Mike has a lot of freedom in his musical career. He can explore different things, which makes him stay on top of his game. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was great. Next week, make sure to tune in as I sit down with Butch Spirited. Butch has served as president and CEO of the Nashville Convention and Visitors Corporation since 1991. Under his leadership, Nashville's hospitality industry has evolved from an industry largely based on theme park and summer leisure travel to a year-round destination for convention, business, and leisure visitors. Hospitality's evolution has made it the city's second largest industry and elevated annual revenues to $4 billion. 
We also recently hosted the Music City Grand Prix, and uh, I would have to say it was a success. I ended up going to the qualifying rounds on Saturday and had a great time seeing uh, seeing some fast cars cruise through Nashville. So uh, make sure to tune in. Uh, that was a great interview. Um, he's definitely a big reason why Nashville is on the uh, spotlight and has grown as much as it has. So make sure to tune into that. Don't forget, if you have any residential real estate questions, please reach out to me. This market is pretty crazy, and having an experienced agent on your side is very important. I have worked for several buyers and sellers in Nashville and surrounding areas over the last nine years. If you are outside of this area and are in the need of a real estate agent, I have some great resources to find a local agent in your area that can help with your real estate needs. So you can reach out to me for that as well. Now, sit back, turn up the volume, and listen to Mike Sill play a song in the Rambler. <laughs> 